I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name is Richard Porritt. I'm joined by Steve Anglesey. Hello, everyone. Firstly, apologies that we're a little bit later than normal. You normally get us with your breakfast. You're going to get us with your sort of 11s. Yeah. But that is because... We've had a very dramatic evening of local election action. Yes. Um, we'll get to that in a second, but please carry on listening because we've got Alistair Campbell, our editor-at-large. And he's not to, just playing the bagpipes. He's not time. just playing the bagpipes. He is actually talking to us about the current state of politics and Brexit. Jerry is going to chat to us later on as well about our new Home Secretary. Yeah. And then we will crown a Brexiteer of the Week. But first, oh dear... Well, it's not gone well for, oh dear. For, for Jeremy Corbyn, has it? What were we expecting? Well, I think we. Well, the expectations have been downplayed in the last couple of days, haven't we? But we went into this. I think uh, six weeks ago, we could. Six weeks ago, two months ago, we were confidently expecting Labour to sweep through London. Yep. That hasn't happened. No. Nope. We were confidently expecting. Um, uh, Labour to turn the tide in the Midlands and maybe in the East Midlands. That hasn't happened. Uh-uh. Uh, and uh, one thing that we were expecting was the Conservatives would lose control, uh, overall control of Trafford. And that has happened. And Labour are now the largest party, but they're only the largest party because the Greens picked up a couple of seats over in Altrincham Way, I think it was. So the, I think the, let's, the, the big story of the night, the, I mean, uh, taking, I mean, we're, we've, we've still got lots of results to come in. Yes, we but London is a big deal, and we've we've we're sort of there with London. Yeah. So the big story of the night is that what Corbyn was expecting, and what momentum were expecting, and what Labour were expecting hasn't happened. This yeah. is an almighty kick it in the balls for Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a ter- absolutely terrible night for yeah. Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Thursday night, an awful night. Not just the. Not just, I mean, obviously Arsene Wenger going as well without a, oh, without yes, a trophy and other. But he does, he, but he he does have a big premium game for his last game as. Uh, Is it Arsenal Huddersfield? Either. Huddersfield Town. Huddersfield Town. Staying up. Uh, there you go. Um, so a bad night for the elderly um, Arsenal backers of, yeah. of North London. Yeah. Um, I think that. This is a this government is a total shambles. Uh, the, the the cabinet are at war. They have presided over the Windrush scandal. They lost the Home Secretary on uh, Sunday night. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 obviously, the, uh, the the Grenfell thing continues to rumble on. 
uh, the, uh, the, the handling of Brexit is a total disgrace and yet they're performing reasonably well against uh, Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party. And I think that this is a night when, um, when Jeremy Corbyn has to listen to... I, I think it's... Unfortunately, he's got to listen to people like me who, for the first time... In years and years, and you know, you can see people like this all over social media yesterday saying, I am not able to vote Labour for the first time in years, decades. I've only voted, I've only not voted Labour once mm. since 1987, mm. um, and that was because of you know, tactical voting. Uh, and uh, and I, I, I couldn't vote for them this time, and it's because of their absurd stance on Brexit. Yeah, have we reached? Pete Corbyn, or in fact, did we reach Pete Corbyn this time a year ago, when he was out on the soapbox and you know at, at Tramia Rovers with that massive crowd and at Glastonbury and stuff? Was that Pete Corbyn? Well, it's difficult to say, isn't it? Local elections are, you know, are local elections, aren't they? Yeah, but normally there is, a, you know, there is a smaller turnout. Some of the, you know, we can go through a couple of these. Some of them have have there are local issues clearly which have yeah. Affected them. Um, the, uh, look, the anti-Semitism thing has, has badly damaged Jeremy Corbyn. Well, in, should, in, they should. I mean, uh, <clears throat> how Labour haven't taken Barnet is. Well, it's it's I mean, they've lost ground in Barnet. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely. It's absolutely terrible. There's a, 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 you know, maybe momentum and people like that have lost something of their luster after we praised them to the skies for the, what they did in the general election. You know, there are there are people saying that. Um, that activists were, were put into the, the, the wrong sort of areas um, uh, where they should have been shoring up the traditional vote. Um, yeah, so I, I, but I think it's too early to say that Pete Corbyn has gone, but I think it's a really bad night for Jeremy Corbyn oh, and, they, and they, they need they, to recalibrate. Steve, the, 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 the cult of Jeremy Corbyn, which is perpetuated by momentum, absolutely, I've seen it on the ground. Cults don't win elections, local no. or national. No. And uh, Alistair will say, um, and, and does say, just in a few minutes on this podcast, Alistair will tell you that um, that, that if the new Labour machine were taking on Theresa May's government, they'd be on the floor. Yes. As, well, as, I agree it with that. as it stands, they're gaining in the in the polls. She's gaining in popularity, and. Actually, the Tories have had a good night. I think the Tories have had a, a, a very, very comfortable night. But I'm, what I'm saying is I don't think all is lost for Jeremy Corbyn, but they need to recalibrate and think about this. The, the anti-Semitism thing has, is, has really hurt them and they need to be much, much tougher on that and the way that, uh, the, way that the NEC deals with that. I mean, that's really difficult because of the composition of the, the NEC and they, they really have to think about what they're going to do about Brexit because that is a, a, a huge issue for many Labour voters. We saw a poll the other day, 70% of people who voted Labour in the last general election uh, are, are for Remain and they are confused and bewildered yeah. and in my case I, I'm, I'm sad and angry that I can't vote for the Labour Party yesterday. But the, the thing um, the thing with Brexit and Labour and it's a, and as you know the picture is still not clear but <clears throat> have has Corbyn really lost votes on Brexit 
on this one because where are these where are the Labour are they, were they just not voting do you think was I it? think people have stayed at home some yeah. people have gone to the Lib Dems who, yeah. Lib who Dems have, have a, done alright I mean they've done a okay yeah. haven't they, yeah, they've, they, done all they, right. they they've, they've managed to avoid disappearing completely UKIP have, have just managed to avoid disappearing completely haven't they I think the last time I looked they'd lost about 80 85 seats happily but they'd, they'd, they'd retained I think they'd won a Labour seat well alright let's talk about let's talk about you they have won a Labour seat in I can't just remember now was it in Derby Derby yes so um, Derby where where you know that's Chris Williams territory yeah. Chris Williamson territory yeah, yeah. excuse me who's obviously a huge Corbynite and had been uh, going around predicting great things hadn't he well, um, of course, um, Labour have lost Nuneaton and Bed, uh, Bedworth, which is a bellwether nationally. Yes. Yeah. It tends to follow who the national government is. Labour have lost it. Well, extrapolating a load of those seats, I think, you know, Battersea is one that would, would, would go, isn't it? And, yeah. you know, I think they're, they're a, they're, they were crowing that they would take four marginals in a general election on the results, but they would also lose four marginals, as, as John Curtis quite quickly pointed out last night. So um, so I think it is a really bad night for Labour. Uh, we're waiting for more results to come in, but they they are <coughs> in sort of Tory areas, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, well, we t- so uh, London, obviously, we were expecting Labour gains. We were expecting Tory losses, at least, in the rest of the country. It seems that the Tories have actually... Gained outside London. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which I mean, it's extra. It's extraordinary that a government that is this bad can do this well in a, and they haven't done well, but this well in the local election. If you look at the, if you look at Labour's performance after eight years in power, so what two thousand and well, it wouldn't have been eight years. Yeah, it was I mean two thousand and four? I think yeah. it was probably. They were losing a lot of seats, and they were polling at around thirty percent. I think. We're looking, and that was kind of what we were expecting for the Tories to do, and I think they would have taken that. It's probably going to be near a forty percent yes. their vote share nationally for these elections. Well, but what this doesn't tell us that the Tories are doing anything right. It tells us that the opposition parties are absolutely useless. Well, it does. Yeah. Jeremy Corbyn is is finally the wheels have fallen off. This, in my opinion, I think this is a big moment for Corbyn. Of course, he won't listen. Nothing will change. There will be no proper action on the anti-Semitism thing because he's boxed off and he's surrounded by people who tell him he's brilliant. Yes, but I mean, clearly, surely the message no, will begin won't. to seep through it in won't. some way, uh, and uh, and maybe there are some people, even among uh, even among the, the the sort of the, the people that he's surrounded himself with, who will say we maybe we need to have another think about these kind of things. Swindon, another. Sort of bellwether again. Yeah. Labour was supposed to take that. Uh, it's you know as goes Swindon normally. Uh, that's that's usually a guarantee that you're going to win uh, power in Westminster. Yeah. Uh, nothing really happened there, did it? Nope. Labour piled up a few more votes. They were supposed to take it, um, and they got one um, one. They, they took one seat from the the Lib Dems, I believe, and nothing at all from the Tories. That's not going to happen. And Corbyn spent quite a bit of time there. Uh, John McDonnell was marching round in Hillingdon, wasn't he? Yep. Uh, and nothing has uh, has happened there. So I think it is a uh, it's a really disappointing night. If I was Sadiq Khan, I'd be absolutely gutted. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, but, he's, but go on. And that is, you know, in London there are two things, aren't there? There are the anti-Semitism thing, which is beyond Sadiq Khan's control. Absolutely. And, it, and lies, and the fault with that lies. Okay, you might say that. A, a, a Tory biased 
mainstream media have blown this up out of all proportion. I think if you said that, you would be completely wrong. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure there are some Labour activists who, who will say that. Um, but the fault of, of, of the, the actual fault of not dealing with this problem lies entirely with the NEC, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, and John McDonnell and people like that. Um, and then, and the, and the other the other thing is a, in London is a, a, is people who support Remain feeling unable to vote for the Labour Party. Homeless, we're homeless. We are, but we have diamonds on the soles of our shoes. Is that was that were you singing Paul Simon there? <laughs> no, but I can if you want. No. Okay, well, that if was... I was to choose a song, I would probably go for um, the boxer. The boxer, would you? Yeah, I think so. It's not my favourite. That no, it's my favourite. Me and Julio down by the schoolyard is my favourite Paul Simon song. I wish we could do a Paul Simon podcast. I'm really quite depressed about uh, well, let's do about it. this awful um, <laughs> about this awful government receiving some validation in in the country at large. It's it's quite clear, isn't it, that the UKIP vote. Has gone. Yeah, let's so talk, let's about, talk UKIP. about UKIP and the Tories. Yeah, because the UKIP vote has collapsed, hasn't it? Uh, which I'm very happy about. Uh, although, obviously, UKIP with the New European provide us with plenty of lols for my column of the worst Brexiteers <laughs> of the week. <laughs> we'll hear about um, that in a bit. Uh, we will hear about that in in the week. So I'm absolutely delighted that the um, that the, the hateful uh, people of UKIP have been uh, marmalised in this uh, in this election. It seems that their votes, however, have gone directly to the Conservatives, yes. haven't they? And and that is a little, you know, on, Theresa May will wake up feeling quite good about herself, won't she? But they, she now has a lot of ex-UKIP voters, yeah. an ex-UKIP base, and the Brexiteers, the nutters, the hard Brexit headbangers in her cabinet will be saying we have to keep these people satisfied. Well, hold that thought while I talk about you quick. I want to read out what Suzanne Evans, she's brilliant, Suzanne Evans. Suzanne she? Evans. She's so much fun. Um, so she, she's talking about, she, she first of all talked about um, the three councillors in Derby, and one of them, to be fair to UKIP, which we don't like to do, but to be fair to them, did unseat the Labour leader, which is quite a result. Uh, but she says, if UKIP does crumble... I think you could still arguably make the case that it's been one of the most successful political parties in history. That is, sadly, probably true if we Brexit. But um, the fact that she's talking about UKIP potentially crumbling, I think that tells us a lot about where where UKIP are and what the upper echelons of the party are thinking. The, the, The end is in sight, isn't it, for UKIP? Yes, happily, the end is in sight for UKIP. Or... Is it just that UKIP have been have moved back to the the Tories? I mean, the yeah. UKIP will still exist, like yeah. they always I mean, did, but they're inside the Tory party. You know, we talked a, a second ago. We'll return to UKIP in a second. We, we did talk a second ago that that a lot of Labour people um, would just say we just carry on. This is the fault of the mainstream media spin of anti-Semitism. Um, uh, we've got uh, we we have a comment here that says this is rubbish uh, media propaganda. So uh, there you well, go. The, <laughs> what we're rubbish? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's true. Yeah. I agree completely. Yeah, yeah, Can yeah, you yeah, like yeah. that comment? Uh, yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, uh, Harold Dochat, I think is uh, is how you how you pronounce that. Um, and uh, he says UKIP voters are back home in the Tories now, and due to the unjust voting system for the Commons, this is really bad news for the UK. And I, I mean, I think it is. You know, the Conservatives are their natural home. Those people who are the um, who are UKIP voters are, you know, they are strongly behind what they believe in, misguided 
uh, as it uh, as it is, um, and they will keep pressing Theresa May, um, uh, and it, it's you know. Well, this is the thing. If so, it, it, the the fallout from this will continue for the weekend. We will return. I mean, I was very confident in even if Labour had swept the board in London that Theresa May wasn't going anywhere. Yes. I don't think. but if when 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 the dust settles a little bit, what Theresa May? Now and this is why this is a bad night for Remain as well as for the for 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 Labour. More importantly, it's a bad night for Remain because what we're seeing is the Tory vote holding up in Leave areas, and that will push her, I think, to more towards the more Brexity wing. The ERG are having a great morning. Well, well, I think I agree with some of that. The ERG, a great thing for the ERG, though, which would surely have been that Theresa May was badly damaged, and they could get um, one of their one of their own in there, Boris Johnson, or well, that's even true. Jacob, even Jacob Rees-Mogg. I also don't think it's necessarily a bad morning for Remain. Look at the Lib Dems picking up some votes in Sunderland. Although you know, you can argue that that's more because of Sunderland Council I think it uh, than uh, than because of Remain. Look at uh, what Labour did in Plymouth, which is a, a, a huge Remain area. That's very true. Um, but a I think outlier. the look. I th- my problem with what Labour have done is that uh, well, I, I think that, that they are on the wrong side of the argument, and I think that every day that they, every minute, every second, every minute, every day that they are on the wrong side of the argument, they are not out uh, putting the cause for uh, Remain. Uh, and they're not out. To be honest with you, they're not really out uh, putting the cause for for uh, migration and uh, and a sensible policy on that because they are chasing. Um, they're busy chasing leave votes in leave areas, and this has become a, a, a mantra for for uh, Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party. And they have they are losing their soul and what the Labour Party really should stand for and believe in, in the same way that. The tail end of the Ed Miliband administrator, yes. the, the Ed Miliband uh, uh, leadership, lost their soul when they started putting out mugs about sensible immigration targets. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So if you don't stand for anything, yeah, if, you, if all you stand for is gaining power, then really you don't deserve a lot of people's votes. Is is, is my view? Yes. Well, I think that's uh, it, it, right now. This does potentially feel like a turning point, but I don't think that Jeremy Corbyn or the current. Labour Party is in any mood to turn the corner. They will just carry on doing exactly the same thing. Yep. And I, I, I just can't see them changing. I don't think they're flexible enough. I don't think that... I, I often don't think that political parties are good at listening because they've, they've got an ideology in their head. But when it comes to being driven by ideology, Jeremy Corbyn's party are driven like no party, in, certainly in my lifetime mm. um towards something that they're not they won't listen to the people they, there's no there's been no evidence of them ever listening to the people no they will listen to Seamus no that's right yes they will uh Steve Gibbs says Labour won't move in the polls until they come out as anti-Brexit simple um, and, I, and, and I think that's right. And I hope maybe, he's right. And, and I'm maybe, a bit confused myself about and it. Maybe this they would move down temporarily in the polls. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe that would happen. And then you have to go on a process of selling uh, Remain and selling uh, all of the things that have come out of the closet about this since the 23rd of June yes. 2016. The and problem for, for the Remain cause is that if Labour were to do that, and I don't think they're going to, but if they were to do that, 
is it too late now? I mean, they should have. That's what they should have done, like you say, yeah. on on June the twenty fourth, two thousand sixteen. Exactly, and and you suspect that the reason that they didn't do that is because Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell don't really believe in it, and that's fine too. And and you know maybe they should just come out and say we don't actually believe in this. We think that it's you know the EU is a big cartel. It, it promotes stronger nations against weaker nations, and uh, and that's why we're we're not in it. And then. But then we would be clear about things, wouldn't we? And then we yeah. could then we could think about whether we wanted to stay with a Labour Party that believed in that, or whether we could uh, whether we should move to another party that believes in a more sensible uh, proposition. But there you go. Should we should we talk briefly about what happened in the the, the cabinet this week? Because obviously yeah, okay. this this is when they return, they're really good at parking things, aren't they? The the putting parking. things on the back burner. Are you good to, at reverse parking? I'm not good at reverse parking. I live on a very tight street now. I used to live in a big field, but uh, a bit like Daniel Beddingfield. Oh yeah, he is a big field. He needs he? to got a bed in his field. Oh, yeah. um, I, I, so now I live in this tight street. I have to do these reverse parking. It takes me about an hour. Alan Booth, let's just uh, let's just look at this as we consider the um, as we consider the Tories. And he says this result is good for the ERG, as you said earlier yeah, yeah. on. They might be emboldened now to topple May and call a general election with an expected new leader and their mm. poll bounce. Well, if the Tories had, had lost badly, their instinct would have been to close ranks. I think if the Tories had lost badly, that would have emboldened the ERG as well. But I think what it, what, but I think what it does now is the ERG have got more influence. I mean, this the 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 report that they sent to Theresa May was seen by Brexit cabinet ministers before Theresa May saw it. Yeah. I mean, they've got people on the inside as well. Yeah, they have. What it does this is it is embolden them to uh, give them a l- even louder voice. I think within cabinet, but I don't think they're going to. I don't think they'll try and topple May. I think they'll let her take the flag. Yeah. And then once we leave, I think we're probably going to have a general election maybe next summer. Do you really? Yeah, I do because I think that that, that is when the likes of Boris and Gove will think, right? Well, it's a done deal now, not the whole deal, but we yeah. are definitely going to Brexit, yeah. and therefore now's the time that we can start to build this Brexit utopia, which we're all so excited about living in. Brutopia, uh, yeah, <laughs> and and they will want to own that. Yeah, and any of the fallout, they can go, oh, that one did it. Oh, there, yeah, the yeah. one leaving. No, I think that's uh, I think that's a good point. I mean, so that, so what happened in the uh, in, in the cabinet, obviously uh, this week, and they're returning to it next week, is that uh, there is a uh, the uh, the ERG and the, the the hard Brexit headbangers in the cabinet have got one idea, haven't they? Yep. About a bizarre sort of Norwegian plus plus. Uh, system or Canadian plus plus. I can't remember what it There's is. Pluses. There's a lot of pluses, um, and uh, and there you go. And uh, and the Theresa May's favoured thing was a customs partnership, wasn't it? In which we would collect tariffs uh, along uh, 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 on behalf of the EU. Yeah. Uh, but it would have a similar effect as, as us being in the the customs union. Yeah. Um, this is a Ollie Robbins mastermind plan. It is. Yeah. And it all was going brilliantly until Amber Rudd decided to say that she didn't know about any targets and yep. what were all the targets, yep. because the cabinet uh, would have split six five in Theresa May's favour, and all would have been well. There would have been a bit of grumbling. Maybe David Davis, Liam Fox, and uh, Boris Johnson would all have resigned by now. 
Well, David Davis is always threatening it. I think Boris and Liam may, may well have done, but that would have been no bad thing. Obviously. Well, it would have been a great thing, wouldn't it? So this this would have happened, and then what happened was she brought uh, Sajid Javid in to be the new Home Secretary. The Home Secretary is going to leave nothing, um, no stone unturned, uh, and put everything out in the open about Win- about Windrush, isn't he? Apart from when he then uh, voted against putting everything out in the open about Windrush a few hours later. Um, and uh, and Sajid Javid um, quite quickly came down on the side of the um, of the, the very Brexity camp, um, and I think quite you look quite quite a lot of people in that last administration. Sajid Javid, Gavin Williamson, you could even argue Theresa May herself, they voted. They said they were voting Remain because that's what David Cameron and George Osborne, yeah. their bosses, yeah. wanted them to do, and they were loyal and thought that that would be, you know, they would win advancement. But they actually weren't really uh, Remainers at all. So yeah, so I think it's, it leaves Theresa May once again in a really tricky position. Well, I mean, I, I my th- I've written today, in fact, about how Theresa May needs to is is getting to the point if she wants her leadership to carry on for up until the next general election, which I very much doubt. She's getting to a to a, a put up or shut up moment. Mm. She needs to take on either the Remainers or the Brexiteers. She needs to she needs to do it, and I I ponder. Whether she should lay her leadership down and try and, and try and beat them. Now, this I wrote this before. Put up or shut up. Yeah, I, yeah. Back in '95, it was June the 22nd, 1995, when was it? Yeah, when John Major went out into the Rose Garden and said, "Put up or shut up." He actually stole that phrase from a Times leader. Did he? Yeah, but um, I, I mean, Theresa May won't do it because she's because she's been she, when she was brave last time, it backfired in her face. But that would solve this problem. I think now what the, what would, I expected that she was going to take on the ERG, she didn't need to now. I think her, she's been shepherded in the direction of making this perhaps even a harder Brexit. That's how that's how depressing it is. I think this morning. Yes. Well, there are some suggestions, and maybe this has been changed by the events of last evening, that the um, that the remainers in the cabinet are trying to woo um, Gavin Williamson back over to the don't go to the dark side. Like um, I think he invented the dark side. Like when side. Luke is conflicted. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or like when the Jedi counselor are a bit worried about Anakin so and whether they should I, trade him. Vision of, of of Phil Hammond going, Gavin. Yeah, that's right. But within actually, yourself, actually, you yeah, know but... it to be true. I oh, know that's the other side, <laughs> isn't it? That's what. Oh, yeah, Karin uh, Bergsterman, and hopefully that's how you pronounce it, Karin. Uh, at the moment, Labour are Tories 2.0. The 48 not being pre- represented. Neither are those who weren't allowed to vote in the referendum. Absolutely true. Uh, and Suzanne Atkinson sums up what we've just been saying. Mrs May is now propelled by the hard Brexiters. This is a sad day. It is a sad day, I think. OK, listen, we've been doing this live um, on... The, oh, I don't know, what is this? It's 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 the internet. Well, it's not plugged into anything. It can't be real. It's in the air all around us. Oh, my goodness, yeah. what has happened? So we've been doing this live and thank you so much for getting involved in that i think um we, we, it's a bit of a trial we should probably do it again yeah steve any final thoughts uh, a terrible night for 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 labor and jeremy corbyn when will they wake up and uh, and uh, and listen to to what we are saying they won't that's the unfortunate truth isn't it maybe i am going to speak to alistair campbell our editor at large next stay angry fight brexit subscribe to the new european 
Your first 13 issues of the New European are only £13 when you join us and become a subscriber. Order by telephone by calling 01858 438840 and quoting podcast one, or order online at our website, www.neweuropean.co.uk. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to the New European. Welcome back. I'm joined by our editor-at-large, Alistair Campbell. Alistair, welcome. Thank you. I think this is the first time on the pod. It is, isn't it? Yeah, we've been trying to sort of get you up here to Norwich. Yeah, we've tried very hard. Well, well, that's not true. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but here you are, so thanks very much for coming. Uh, what I wanted to, to focus on, really, was um, the votes we've had in the Lords, Yeah. how important that is, and whether it makes it more likely that we're going to get a, a ch- another chance to vote on Brexit at the end of it all. What, what do you think? I mean, I think the th- I think the whole situation is really volatile. There's no doubt at all that I get the sense that the the extremists, as I call them, worry that they're losing the argument. It's really interesting. I was at, a, at the launch of the People's Vote yeah. campaign, the rally in in Camden, and my partner Fiona was came along and. She said at the end of it, she said, that's quite interesting because you had lots of different speakers. They're all arguing for the same end point, but they had kind of different arguments as to why that should happen. And she said, if you had this similar rally now for the other side, what would they be saying apart from will of the people? Yeah. And you hear that more and more. When when I heard Liam Fox being interviewed the other day, and, and really all they fall back on is, oh, we have the referendum, we have to make it work. Well... I think the public are kind of moving on it. And if you think about it, they're moving, or and I'm not pretending it's a kind of massive shift of ground or that it's suddenly become absolutely blindingly obvious, because I think a lot of people just stopped listening, they stopped engaging. Yeah. But I do think, insofar as it's moving at all, it's moving towards people really getting worried about it. It's moved towards people thinking, hold on a minute, do I really trust this lot to deliver something good? Shouldn't if Parliament can't agree, shouldn't it come back to us? And that's even though the government, the opposition, most of the media, especially the BBC, which I think their role has been absolutely appalling in this, is all pushing in the direction of saying it has to happen. Yeah. So I think if people actually felt there was any possibility of a process at the end of which they could get a vote on the outcome of the deal then I think people would go for that. And look, the politics are very, very difficult. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm speaking at um, Progress next week, and I accept the politics are difficult. But if you, if you think that you've had... I wrote about this in the paper, that if you list Theresa May's test for Brexit and Keir Starmer's test for Brexit, they're not being met. Mm. So why are we... When their own tests are failing, mm. why are we going along with it? Mm. So I think what the Lords has shown, and it is, it's, it's almost, if it wasn't so serious, it'd be absolutely comical to watch these people who said it was all about Parliament taking back control. Yeah. Whether they like it or not, the House of Lords is part of our parliamentary system. Their job is to be a revising chamber. Their job, as somebody said the other day, is to mark the homework of the Commons and the government. And that's what they're doing. And we all know, I interviewed Ken Clark on LBC a while back, and I said, if, if there was a free vote, of, of MPs where they weren't following the Labour whip or the, or the Tory whip the free vote on whether they think we're doing the right thing for the country he reckoned 8 out of 10 
would be would be open about the fact they're doing the wrong thing for the country. Yeah, well, yeah. That's, that's unsustainable. Yeah, yeah. The other thing is, what what are the what are the Brexiteers so worried about a second vote? Well, exactly, exactly. What they're worried about is that they the referendum June twenty third, twenty sixteen might well have been the high watermark. Yeah. Because it was where the lies were working best. It was where the Remain campaign hadn't really focused on a lot of the questions that people wanted answered. So I think, you know, in a way your answer is in your question, what they're worried about is losing it. Yeah, yeah. But and that's because, I'm sure you'll agree, we, or we, you know, the public at large, know more truth now about the, the harm that Brexit will do than they did then. Well, I think if they will say now, they still say, if you go out and say such and such an economic economic advisor says there's the IMF so there's, they all say it was Project Fear you said all this at the time of the referendum and you said the economy was going to collapse and it hasn't and there was going to be an emergency budget and there wasn't and all these things but actually I think in a, you, you, bearing in mind that Brexit has not yet happened we've gone from the top of the G7 economy to the bottom those growth figures last week terrible well, that's what Project Fear said wasn't it 1% growth absolutely so we've got it now well it was 0.1% Sorry, and, 0.1 yeah, euro. and 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 what's more, and it was it was again it was it was it was almost mind blowing to watch the BBC News falling for this line that it was all about the weather. Yeah, yeah. Brexit barely mentioned. Yeah. To be fair, ITV I thought did a very fair balanced report, but I think people see that they they I've, I've just the reason I'm in Norwich. I'm speaking at a National Health Service mental health conference all day, and. The mental, the, the the health service is under massive pressure. What happened to the extra money? Yeah. Well, we know what happened to the extra money. It existed on a bus, not in the real world. Right. It was a total straightforward lie. Yeah. The Turks coming in was a lie. The free trade deals that were going to drop out of the sky. As have they actually have they made any real progress on one? Mm. And then I think the other one that I think really is beginning to cut through to people is the, is the question of the Irish border the Northern Irish border. I mean, nobody's answered that question. No. And old Barnier was out there again this week. And it seems to me that we're... we're, This is, is, I'm afraid, the sort of Trumpian world that we're in is where politicians seem to think that these kind of fantasy slogans are going to deliver change. They don't. Yeah. I bet you don't know what... I bet you haven't had the same thought I had when I woke up this morning. Go on. 21 years to the day that we were our first election. We were talking about that. Think, <laughs> it's interesting because we were talking on the news desk there. I said, what happened 21 years ago today? And they all went, uh, oh, I don't know. And I said, well, work the year out and you'll get it straight away. And they went, no, said, oh, yes, of course. Yeah. So yeah. what were you doing at this very time? Where are we now? We're mid-afternoon. Did you go on to election day it? itself. I did have a kip in the afternoon, yeah, yeah, I did. And then I couldn't really sleep. It was an extraordinary day. Did, did you think then and the day after and the weeks after and after the you know after all that was achieved by the Blair government, did you think we'd be where we are now? No. So what went wrong? Do you mean in relation to Europe? Europe, everything. Well, did I think Jeremy Corbyn would ever lead the Labour Party? <laughs> no. Did I think we'd be voting to come out of the European Union? No. Did anybody imagine Donald Trump would be president? I mean, to be honest, did I imagine we'd win three terms? Mm. Not so sure. We'd ne- no, Labour had never done it before. No. But I think, you know, I, I get very, I get, I'm very saddened by the way that 
Tony is seen, and, and by the way, that sometimes the new Labour government is seen, because I think it was a really, really successful government. Did loads of the stuff we said we would, made loads of change for the better. And funny enough, I was t- my daughter, she's 24 now, so she was three. She was a baby when I started working for Tony Blair. And she actually said the other day, she was, I can't remember what we were talking about, but she said, and she had some friends there, she said, you know, when you look at, she said, I didn't really know what my dad was doing. I didn't know what it was all about. I didn't know what was happening. But when you look at this show today, both Tory and Labour, she said, the one thing I realise is that, you know, that lot, my dad and that lot, they knew what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so no, I don't think I ever imagined that things would get as bad as this. Is there... Is there a chance anywhere in the near future of, of Labour turning themselves around and becoming more of the progressive Labour Party that you were involved in, do you think? Or, or are, we, are we looking at, you know, are we at, this, are we at um, sort of 1983 levels where we need a, we need a good few, or at least a leader to stabilise it? And, mm. or, I don't, or are they doomed? I honestly don't know. I mean, the the... You know, I talked about the Brexiteers kind of operating according to these kind of fantasies. You know, they need us more than we need them. Trade deals are going to flow. The economy's not going to be damaged. All the sort of nonsense that they say. They know it's not true, but they just say it. And I, likewise, I think on the on the Jeremy Corbyn side of things, it's like, I was talking to one of the Labour MPs the other day who was saying that Everything is now reduced, every issue on Brexit is reduced to this notion of whether or not you're trying to undermine the sainted leader. Yeah. As opposed to, are you having, trying to have a proper, serious, mature debate about what's the best thing for the country? Mm. So, uh, Saturday, I'm speaking at the Progress yeah. event. And, I, you know, I haven't kind of finished what I'm saying yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest about how I'm really wrestling with... with uh, how how can you fully support this? Because so many of the, the and the questions that I think it's not just me, but the public. It's about the public in the end. And you know, if you if you go and talk to the true believers, they they just think you're trying to undermine them yeah. and criticise them. If yeah. you say to them things like, "Look, I travel a lot around the country and I speak to loads and loads and loads of people," they're really worried about the direction of the party. Yeah. And I tell you, I was here's the thing. Last week I was in in Burnley. I spent a lot of time in Burnley, but I was speaking at Sixth Form College on the Friday, uh-huh. and the Saturday night after a th- really exciting nil nil draw at home to Brighton, <laughs> I went to Hexham to uh-huh. a book festival. So I've gone from kind of young kids in a fairly working class area to a very middle aged middle class book festival audience. I asked them both. I've written about this in the paper this week. I asked them both the same questions. Show of hands. The first question was, do you think Theresa May is doing a good job as Prime Minister? Now, in both audiences, not one single hand went up. Mm. That's in Tory Hexham, by the yeah, way. Yeah. And I then said to both audiences, and therefore, do you think Jeremy Corbyn is going to be the next Prime Minister? In the school, I think it was four hands went up. And in the book festival, it was one. Mm. So we have a situation now where nobody, literally, virtually nobody thinks the Prime Minister is doing a good job. Yeah. But very, very few people see Jeremy Corbyn as the alternative Prime Minister. Yeah. But if you go to the people around Jeremy Corbyn, the momentum people who've kind of come into the party as true believers, 
they just think you there's something wrong with you if you can't see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I imagine the damage that the new Labour machine and, and Blair could have done to, to to this Tory government doing what they're doing. Imagine. Well, I, I think I said in the paper the other day, imagine what a Robin Cook would have done with Cambridge Analytica. Yeah. But what's happened is that they've they've effectively bought the line that Brexit has to happen. Yeah. So therefore, although Keir Starmer says, well, we're different than this and we're different than that, and he welcomed the vote in the Lords and blah de blah de blah but ultimately the end point is the same. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, listen, every day I look at this government and think, you know, <laughs> we should be running them ragged. I mean, ragged. And, you know, the Windrush thing, I mean, if you look at where the really effective... I mean, it was it was the Guardian, yeah, and and in Parliament it was David Lammy, yeah, David yeah. Lammy. Uh, I've just interviewed David for GQ because I mean, and it was the it was the magazine. The phone it said, "Oh, David, we've got to get David Lammy in the magazine. He's been brilliant on this Windrush thing." Yeah, yeah. So, I just think there's a, and I think there's a complacency. The one thing you know, 21 years ago today, and all that. If you read my diaries, the one thing we did in opposition, we worked our balls off. We did. We, we every day we sat down and we'd say right what do we need to do today to help us put in the position where we got a better chance of winning mm. I just don't sense them doing that no 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 okay listen Alistair I know you've got to dash off um, but thanks for coming in and of course you will turn up at the end of the pod on your bagpipes as you do every week so I know the old uh, the old I've, I've just been asked here's, here's one for your listeners Nina my friend Nina, my daughter's friend, she had a piece about roaming charges in there. She, yeah. she's, she, and she actually went to university here. But she said to me, she's asked me to go and play my bagpipes, play O to join the bagpipes, at an event she's organising for Women Against Brexit. Brilliant. But I don't think I should. Why not? Because it's Women Against Brexit. Well, you wear your kilt. Yeah, but that's very, very, very anti-Scottish thing to say. The kilt is not a female thing. Oh, sorry. My grandfather is from Kilmarnock. Oh, my mother was from my mother was from Moscow, which is just down the road from Kilmarnock. Yeah, so I don't know whether I should. Well, don't wear a kilt. Then just wear a full dress. What? Go full Eddie Izzard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that's going to that might detract from the message. Perhaps, perhaps. Okay, Alistair, thank you very much. Well, listen. Good luck with the podcast. And I'll tell you what, I'm really pleased to finally have got myself and seen the amazing job that you guys are doing on this. Because I do think New European is a terrific paper, and I think it's, I think it's, a, I think it's a fantastic success story. And, and the fact that you're doing it as print yeah. on a shoestring yeah. with a tiny, tiny, tiny staff, I think it's brilliant. You're doing a great well, the best job. thing is, I've worked at loads of papers, and I've never had this much fun either. So that is the other good thing about good. it. We really are having enjoying it. Yeah, good. Yeah, we are. Thanks very much. Welcome back. I'm with Jerry. Jerry, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm very good actually. I'm really really good. What an exciting week! It has been an exciting week. Were you surprised when Amber Rudd fell on her sword? Um, not really. Well, I was surprised at the timing. I felt very bad for um the News at Ten editors. I was so annoyed. Having done those Sunday shifts into Monday <laughs> on national newspapers, I was so annoyed for everyone because yeah. you can just imagine. You've got half an eye on those last orders, uh-huh. <laughs> and then the Home Secretary resigns. Um, 
but no, I wasn't really surprised it happened in general. But yeah, the timing was a bit, um, bit of a shock. All right, so she's gone. But we've got a new Home Secretary. We have. It wasn't a massive surprise, was it? Um, no. Was your money on Sajid really. Javid? Um, I'm not. I'm not a betting woman, Richard. But no, of course I am. <laughs> I was going to say, well, how come you're sleeping on the streets? All, then? all the vices. <laughs> you lost all your money on the GG. Um, no, I wasn't overly surprised. I mean, I'm not really sure what a massive, what a massive choice Theresa May had. She was in a difficult position of keeping her cabinet quite balanced, wasn't she? She was. I mean, he's not the sort of Remainer that Amber Rudd was. Well, no. And I don't think he's going to be. Um, as much of a problem for Theresa May from the Remain side no, as Amber Rudd was. So she is a loss for the Remain cause. Yeah. But anyway, tell us about Sajid. What do you think? Well, I think I, I think he's probably had quite a good first few days. He and has. I'm, and I'm saying that because I think the stuff with, you know, the Windrush scandal and, you know, that all that stuff he said about that, it could have been him, it could have been his mum and dad. I think that really resonated with people. Yeah, played well, yeah. I mean, let's be honest, it couldn't have got much worse in that whole Windrush situation. No. But um, but then we say that about this government all the time and it seems to get worse. So I think he did well on that. I think that was a really effective move and he put in a good performance in, in the Commons as well. I think, you know, considering that that was the next day, I think it all went pretty well for him. Yeah, it did. And I, I mean, let's have a look at his backstory because it's impressive. Yeah. Um, he's... Have uh, you seen that poster going around on Twitter? The, what can the Tories offer a working class kid from, uh, yeah, and they've yeah. mocked it up with him, haven't they? From, so, from yeah, Rochdale. From Rochdale. And he's dad's a bus driver. Yep. I mean, I I think it's, there's a great story that I read where he went for a job at, um, I can't just remember exactly, but some, um, you know, bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean Citibank, you went for an interview. And their first question to him was... talking about the Halifax down the high street. <laughs> not. So the first question they asked him was, where did you go to school? And he told them. And they must have been a bit like, never heard of it. <laughs> and then they said, what did your dad do for a living? And he told them. Mm-hmm. And they said, maybe you should apply to a high street bank. <laughs> he went somewhere else and was... He went to a, I think he went to a US merchant bank or something and was flying within a very short space of time. And this guy's obviously a super bright guy. Yeah. Is the Home Office a bit of a poison chalice, though? It's a tricky <laughs> one, isn't it? I mean, even we thought May had sort of managed to get hold of the Home Office, managed to do a good job, and she'd gone on to be Prime Minister. God, how wrong we were. <laughs> and it's still coming and biting her on the backside yeah. years later. So a lot of people are saying, ooh, Sajid Javid, he's had a good first week, he's our next Prime Minister. I think that's early days. I think that's very premature. (laughs) All right, so what's in his intro then? What potentially could come and bite him? Um, Well, he has got this Windrush stuff, hasn't he? Um, There are still hundreds and hundreds of cases that have been reported. Um, I think the potential Windrush cases, is it about 1,300 at the moment? So, so. you know, he's got to sort out the compensation, the citizenship scheme. So, you know, and he's got this question over this hostile environment mentality of immigration isn't there which he said isn't what we should be doing um as a country um which i think is another win for him actually i I think grabbing on that sentiment where people have you know been disgusted by this windrush stuff quite rightly to tone that down has been the right thing to do um the other thing of course is crime yeah i see this is the one i think that he i think that he is going to be able to 
managed to sort Windrush out because I think there yeah. is that I think he's coming just at the right time. Yeah, I think so. Because um, he said the right things in the first week. There are the mechanisms now in place to get this sorted and mm-hmm. get it sorted quick because Theresa May is thinking, oh dear, this could, you know, this could be for me as it was for Amber Rudd. Yeah. So I think and I hope that is going to get sorted out and we'll never see yeah. anything quite like that again. Yeah. Crime, on the other hand, is difficult. Yeah, I mean. Obviously, crime all over the country, but there's a big focus on London at the moment, isn't there? And all all the kind of gang violence and murders that are happening at the moment. There's been a sharp rise in shootings and stabbings. Um, We've around... had similar, though. Violent crimes up across the country, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think overall, overall crime is down. But violent crime is But violent up. crime is up. And there's been around 20,000 police officers cut since 2010. Right, so this is the interesting point for yeah. me. The Tories are still sticking with this line that the rising crime has got nothing to do with a fall in police officers, yeah. right? Now, which, if, in my opinion, is mad. Well, <laughs> they they'll you can explain these things away by saying, "Oh, working smarter," blah blah blah, yeah. all that sort of stuff. But I say it a million times. I've said it a million times, and I will carry on saying it till the day I die. We'll put on your headstone. Yeah. There are two things that win elections, hope and fear, mm-hmm. right? And you've got to seize one of those. Yeah. If people are afraid that their kids are going to get stabbed when they go out to see their mates in the park, they're not going to support your police cuts. Yeah. So to carry on this line of, we're going to fight crime, but there's no more money for more police officers, yeah. it is madness. Yeah. So what can you do? It's difficult, isn't it? It's going to be really interesting to see... Um, because Amber Rudd, before she was, you know, unceremoniously kicked out the door, unveiled a new serious violence um, strategy, violent yeah. crime strategy last month. Yeah. Um, from looking at it, it's difficult to see what it's going to actually do. Lots of words. It's a lot of words and, and not much yeah. actual action. The um, other problem he's got, of course, is in London, he's got a Labour mayor yeah. who's, you know, really ratcheting up mm-hmm. the the volume on we want more cops, we need more cops, our children are being stabbed. Yeah. Um and that pressure's not gonna go away. No. It's so, gonna be quite a tussle actually. So you know he's gonna have to decide, isn't he, whether to go ahead with the plans if there are really a place and come up or come up with some alternatives. Yeah, yeah. Um you've got terrorism? Terrorism. Well, I mean <sighs> Amber Rudd never quite got to grips, I think, with the Home Office because as soon as she was um, the Home Secretary, we had all those terrible terror attacks last year. Um, And I think probably she handled them quite well. Yes. Um, And and the other problem is, like like the best things and the worst things, they come out of blue sky and wake you up at (laughs) 3am and slap you in the face. (laughs) And that's what happens with, with terror attacks, isn't yeah. it? You, you you tend to not be expecting them. No, no, <laughs> Because no. if you were, you would have stopped them. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. No. I, I would imagine, I think the public is still pretty confident that we handle and, and thwart terror attacks pretty well. I think there's still confidence yeah. in our secret services and in our... You know, I don't, I don't think... And my honest opinion is our kind of response to a terror attack when it does happen is, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't do much better, but... The, this all ties in with that stuff we talked about, about dwindling police resources and yeah. things like that, because it's shown time and time again that it's those kind of neighbourhood, on-the-ground police officers yeah, yeah, that are the yeah. ones who get those tips, who are thwarting these attacks. Yes, um, really good point. So it does all tie in with that. Um, the government is due to un- unveil a kind of new 
counter-terrorism strategy in the coming weeks. So how how that's it'll be like Dobber terrorist in there or something, won't it? I remember when I was when I was a cub reporter, we had Dobber dealer. Where basically, they got they got people who owed dealers money to dob their own dealers in in the hope that they get would go to prison and then they could get out of the thousands of pounds that they owed them for all that smack that Absolutely. they got. Absolutely. Um, quickly, because we had a. You know, our special guest has yes, squeezed yes, yes, us yes, for yes, time. Yes, Brexit. Yes, Brexit, that is the big one, isn't it? I mean, you know, he's going to... With the crime stuff, he's going to want to make sure that the UK has got cooperation with um, the EU on crime and security. Um, but, you know, there's still around 3 million EU nationals living in the UK and there'll be European citizens arriving during transition, yada, yada, yada. So he's got to sort out all that. Um, but already it kind of seems that the EU aren't happy with what's what the kind of proposed actually i really i really like this i really really like this about the app for those applying for settled status um amber rudd saying how easy it would be but um it not working on iphones is the, the answer to everything <laughs> in the moment seems to be let's have an app let's have an app for you it know. mom the conflicts have run out let's have an app for it there probably um, is an app for that actually isn't there? but the suggestion for that is my favorite you can borrow your pal's android oh. to complete the application i mean no one wants to be doing it on a samsung do they <laughs> um so yeah he's got all that to come um and it'll be, it's going to be it's definitely going to be um, an interesting few weeks months i think it, I, I mean you know i i i wish him all the best yes. i really do i really do wish him all the best yes i think he's got a very tricky gig um, but I think um, it's a it's it's a progressive move for this country to have someone like Sajid, uh, Sajid Javid in the But you know, it's all going to go fine because he did the power stance out the front. So he did it's, all gonna power okay. stance. it's all going to be okay. He did. Who's telling them to do it, Richard? I think they've just got really... <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. Okay. Thanks very much, Jerry. We'll speak again next week. Brexiteer of the Week. Welcome back, Steve. It is time to crown a Brexiteer of the Week. Uh, yes, it is. Um, should we start with David Davis? I know we've talked about the customs partnership before, but it was good, wasn't it? Good and familiar to see that um, earlier on in the week, on Monday, I think it was, that David Davis was reportedly on the brink of resigning over a, a, the customs partnership with the EU. Uh, that was according to the Express. And, of course, he was on the brink of resigning uh, the last time over the fishing policy. That yeah. was in March. Yeah. And then he was on the brink of resigning over Damien Green That's right. in December. And then when Boris Johnson and Michael Gove sent that letter to Theresa May back in November... And he didn't really, he wasn't, hadn't been cut in on it. He was on the brink of resigning then, wasn't he? I'll tell you what he is, definitely. We can definitely see he's on the brink. He's definitely on the brink of something. He's been close to the edge more often than Bono, in my view. And <laughs> um, surely one day he will take that leap, hopefully very soon. Christopher Spaulding, I really like this guy. I mean, it's been a week, hasn't it, of scandal, claim, counterclaim, resignations at the highest level. Yes, not just in the government, but also in the upper echelons of the Rochester and Strood UKIP. Uh, but it's a viper's nest, Christopher you? Spaulding is the former chairman um, of the Rochester and Strood UKIP branch, and he's suing them over unpaid expenses. Do you know what he, he wants recompense for? Moonlit walks with Annabelle? No, a Remembrance Day wreath and a packet of cream crackers. He's suing them. He's suing them over that. Now, How much is a packet of cream crackers? Well, I don't know, actually. Is this the packet of cream cracker test? Oh, I've got you, haven't yeah, I? Yeah. Resign! Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you, no, I don't you know. You are so detached from the people. Yeah, it's true. About 
90p or something? Uh, probably, yeah. yeah. I, can, I only deal in gluten-free artisanal biscuits now. And, uh, and me, pints of Guinness. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, if you want to test us on the price of those, new European listener, uh, we, will be, <laughs> we will be ready to answer. Um, anyway, um, the Rochester and Strood UKIP, I really love saying that, they have moved to end the feud and they sent him a cheque. They sent Christopher Spaulding a cheque mm. for the wreath and the packet of cream crackers. But he came back to them saying he wasn't going to cash the cheque. He was going to rip it up because he also wants compensation for two pasting tables uh, <laughs> which he bought, which have now gone missing. Uh. It's got to be said it didn't stop the Rochester and Strood UKIP getting a pasting at the local elections. Quite. Um, can, can I just ask, who, apart from my father... Yes. Who else in the world sends cheques? A cheque? I, I, I don't know. When was the last time you sent a cheque? Oh. A cheque or postal order? I paid for... I, pay, I, I, I used a cheque to pay for something um, in... Do you two, have a chequebook? No, but I did in 2007. I remember it very clearly. I used a cheque to pay for it. I was paying my chief photographer. I didn't have any cash, so I wrote him a cheque. Wow. Not a wage. I mean, I owed him some money. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I can't remember ever writing a cheque for a packet of cream crackers or indeed two pasting <laughs> tables, but, you know, we're, we're all missing out. Should we talk about Paul Dacre for a minute? Oh, yes, what Mr. A week he's had. Mr. Dacre. Prime Minister reject this absurd fudge was one of the <laughs> Daily Mail front pages. And I, if it had been accompanied by a picture of that sort of banoffee fudge with all the stuff on top of it, oh yeah, I, I don't like that kind of fudge. I'm a traditional fudge man. Either a finger of fudge, just enough, which is just enough to give your kids a treat, or I quite like rum and raisin. When you go to the little, well, you know, I've the had little rum fair, rum and raisin fudge for a long rum and raisin time. fudge, quite a nice clotted cream fudge. However, that stuff um, that comes in a slab and it's got shit all over it. No, so I'm with him, but it turned, eating? but it turned out that he wasn't talking about that kind of oh. absurd fudge. Oh. He was talking about the uh, the customs partnership, wasn't he? Anyway. Um, the day before, he got all aerated, didn't he, about the defeat in the Lords. Oh, yeah, he did. And the Daily Mail's leader column, which, you know, I, I don't think he personally writes it, does oh, he? I know the person who personally but writes he, it. But he stands over them and tells them what to write, frankly. Yeah. Um, and, um, and it said, This whole absurd event was a timely reminder that a comprehensive clear-out of this unelected club of cronies and has-beens is long overdue. But I wonder how long overdue um, it actually is. That Paul Dacre Mr. there Mr Dacre now. now. Um, is it? Oh, is, is it a very sweary message? Uh, t- well, I'll read the message to you if you want. Go on. It says, I like that pic. I want that pic in a frame. Find it in the archive for me. Okay. Mysterious, Mysterious huh? Dacre. I want to get next to you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, he's, so the Daily Mail say that clear out of the Lords is long overdue, but I'm wondering how long overdue it actually is because, go back six years, 2012, the former Lib Dem leader and future uh, Paul Dacre hate figure, Nick Clegg, Cleggy. he said he was going to... He wanted to propose a, a comprehensive clear-out of all those unelected cronies and has-beens by turning the Lords into a wholly elected chamber. And guess which newspaper's leader column then said this would be a blueprint for constitutional vandalism that could leave Britain permanently among the worst governed states in the developed world? Uh, Daily Mail. It was the Daily um, Mail, and it's hard to shake the... The, the the idea isn't it that just because the lords have now done something that Paul Dacre uh, doesn't like, he wants to abolish them. Whereas when it, it, it was frustrating somebody that he didn't like, he was all in favour of the House of Lords. Anyway, um, 
a little bit of descent too. Uh, descent, I like a bit of descent. Descent. It's not in UKIP. I'm afraid it's not just. It's been a sad, sad week for UKIP, hasn't it? Really, Rochester and Strood, they've been marmalised in the local elections, obviously, and um, and Bill Etheridge, big Bill oh, Etheridge, Billy, uh, who's an MEP, he's from Birmingham, isn't he? Yes. He, is. he um, when he uh, he ran for leader, I really, I, I, I really admired this. He gave a, he gave his, um, he launched his campaign for the leadership. Uh, which was one, then won by Paul Nuttall. He launched it in a curry house to prove that he wasn't racist. That's right, yeah. He did, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. And then he made another. Well, that is proof. Yeah, and then he made another speech, didn't he? Uh, and um, he loved a, the leadership campaign for you. Yeah, it was brilliant. He made another speech about why he wasn't a racist, and then it was discovered that he, unfortunately he'd hired the same room that Enoch Powell had hired <laughs> yes, to make right. his Rivers of Blood speech in 1968, which was an unfortunate error by Bill Etheridge. If anyway, it can go wrong. Anyway, look, he didn't win that election. No. He stood aside for Gerard Batten in the um, in the, the, the sort of the, the, the Farrago that followed the removal of, of Henry Bolton. Mm. Um, and in March, he was praising... Uh, Gerard Batten to the skies. That was only six weeks ago. He said that Gerard Batten was a well-respected, experienced elder statesman who was delivering calm, measured leadership. And Bill Etheridge said he was going to be fiercely loyal to a man I have a great deal of personal respect for. Now, in the meantime, Bill Etheridge uh, has gone to a conference in Crimea and he sort of questioned... He, he, he basically said nobody in Britain believes that Russia is behind the Salisbury attack, yeah. uh, and he said uh, he said Russia was was sort of firm but fair, and this hasn't gone down very well with Gerard Batten. No. Um, so uh, so March, Bill Etheridge said Gerard Batten was a well-respected, experienced elder statesman, calm, measured leadership. I've got a great deal of personal respect for him. Now he said uh, of Gerard Batten. He can go to hell. Oh. I will lock horns with him at the NEC meeting. I will come out all guns blazing, and he'd better make sure he's wearing his body armour. Blimey. So 162 years after the end of the Crimean War, UKIP are having their own Crimean War. Fantastic. Does body armour protect against Novichok, do you think? I wouldn't have thought so. No. No, I wouldn't have thought so. I like the fact that he's going to lock horns with all guns blazing as well. That's yeah. pretty good. It, yeah. I mean... Maybe well, I can't, I'm looking forward to this. It's Maybe there are guns in the horns. <laughs> that would be good, wow. wouldn't it? Yeah. Wow. It's, would, uh, is he growing the horns? He or, is. So he's growing horns with guns in? With guns in, yeah. That's the UK way. Well, after this Crimea, evolution. you don't know. He, he, may be, he may be mutating <laughs> yes. after a tour of their facilities. The UK-47s, though. They're That'd be incredible, wouldn't it? Big bad. mutant UKIPper. It's obviously bad to hit the target with an AK-47. I imagine if you've got it on a horn, it'd be even more difficult. Yeah. You'll end up just spiralling round, firing off bullets into the sky. That'd be incredible. Anyway, I'm going to the NEC. And it, it would be, it would, that would liven it up, wouldn't it? If Bill Etheridge came in with a pair of actual horns that he'd grown... Uh, wow. ...after exposure to a Novichok laboratory, and the horns then sort of opened up and revealed huge guns... And Gerard Batten came in dressed like a transformer in loads of body armour. Mm. Have you been gluing stuff before the pod? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you've been doing some gluing this morning. Felt-tip yeah. pens and things. Yeah, yeah, exactly oh, that, yeah. Good. Yeah, whippets. Now, 
Shall we end with the Brexiteer of the Week? And it's an old friend of ours. Oh, yes, please. Who is it? It's Roger Helmer. Yes, of course it is. He used to be an MEP. He's most famous for a great picture of him resting his eyes uh, while in deep thought um, in the EU Parliament. Yeah. And I'm sad to say that Roger, who is now (laughs) retired, has been the victim of a crippling cyber attack. Oh, my goodness. Uh wasn't Bill Etheridge, was it? He sent a tweet this week, mutant Bill Etheridge, no. <laughs> he sent a tweet this week which read, AOL's UK helpline is no longer available. A recorded message gives a website, hyphenated, <laughs> to send an email, also hyphenated. But that is suspended because of high demand. And now I find that my, in quotes, live chat request has been <laughs> cancelled as... No agents are available. No, so never mind, Roger. I'm sure that AOL Connie will be popping a new CD in the post to you any day now. And just prepare by making sure that your 56K modem is switched on and ready to receive. And Roger Helmo, you are the Brexiteer of the week. Fantastic. What should Connie do right now? AOL Connie. Welcome to AOL. Did you have Connie? Uh, yes, I did, yeah, yes, I did yes. Well. AOL Connie, yeah, yeah. I had one of my very close friends had a senior position, at, held a senior position at AOL, actually. Really? A guy called, was... guy called Joe Berry, and we always joked that he, his job was to put the CDs in the envelopes. <laughs> but you know Connie? Because there was a real Connie on the adverts. There was. On your computer, it was a little cartoon Connie. It was, yeah. But do you think the cartoon Connie was based, because the real Connie was based on the cartoon, so was there, was there a real Connie somewhere? Is there, is there a real Connie out there that some techie was lusting after? I don't know. I mean, I think we need to talk about marketing and how advertising works, maybe after this podcast, <laughs> and I've come down from the, these felt tips. Well, I, clearly we've got no idea about marketing. No. Or anything else. Talking of marketing, yeah. if you've enjoyed this podcast... <laughs> And why not? You it's should, had some fine guests. It has. You should leave us a fantastic review. You can do it on Spotify, on um, on um, uh, Audio Boom, which is where our, our podcast originates from. You can do it um, on iTunes. Uh, leave us a great review. You can follow the New European on Twitter uh, at the New European. You can follow me on Twitter at Sanglesey S A N G L E S E Y. Or you can follow me at Porritt, P-O-R-R-I-T-T. Or you could fire up your dial-up. Yes. And go to our website, www. I don't really need to do the Ws, do I? Not really. You know that it's the information superhighway, right? It's the neweuropean.co.uk, but I will say that it's a website hyphenated. So it's, uh, yeah, a web hyphen site, uh, (laughs) as approved by Roger Helmer. Brexiteer of the Week, former MEP and all-round sleepy dude. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the New European Podcast. Thank you ever so much for listening. It means the absolute world to us. The paper's out. As always, it's a stonker. Plenty of politics, plenty of Brexit, but lots and lots of culture as well. Pick up a copy now. It's £2.50. It's in all good news agents. Mr Campbell, play those bagpipes. We should have done this live.
do an can you do an impression of her? <laughs> I can do you know it? Yeah. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.